0: Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace. Developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Hey, good afternoon. This is Sarah Stogner with the Oil & Gas Legal Risk Podcast with the Oil & Gas Global Network. I am sitting here today. You'll hear the whispers in the background. Once again, I am crashing at the Midland Country Club for lunch with my friend J.B. Bendick, and you are... Actually, have your entity is called the Navitas Organization, right? That's correct. Okay. So, we were just, I was asking to make sure that I pronounced your name correctly before we started. And the JB actually stands for Joseph Bendick, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, I'll just call you JB. Excellent. Does that work? So, thanks for joining me today. And we met, how did we originally meet? On LinkedIn?
0: I think so. It's hard. That's a good point. I, I normally always remember, but I can't.
1: I think we met on LinkedIn and then we had lunch and we just kind of kept in touch and you know this industry is so small really that we run into each other all the time. But you're one of my favorite people to kind of bounce ideas off of and and one of the things that I've been Talking about lately and kind of nerding out on is the midstream water issue. So, you're going to sit and chat with me today about water. But before we get there, can you just give everybody a little bit of your background? Where are you from, education, what you're doing, kind of thing?
0: Absolutely. So, I've been in the Permian now going on five years, originally from Western Pennsylvania. So, I'm not a local here, I'm a transplant. And I came down as part of Halliburton, a corporate relocation program, and uh, I was very excited for the opportunity because I'm not a background-trained engineer as far as petroleum or mechanical. I actually have a political science degree, which shocks many people when I hear about that. And long story short, I had been doing commodities and, and knowing the oil and gas industry when the Marcellus Judica broke out. And so I basically had reached out to all these different oil people and made small chat and said, Hey, I know all the paper. I know all the background, the financials, how things work, but I want to learn how to dig a hole. And so here Halliburton has given me my first shot and, uh, broke out and in hundreds of hours and, you know, years of my life learning everything <laughs> and, and, uh, very exciting you know they took the opportunity you know with me and after you know being down here you know with them I decided to break off and start my own consulting group where I can bring a unique approach to the Permian because I'm not I don't mean it's in any negative way but being from the outside here and learning how the Permian works and how business is done is different than anywhere else in any other industry or, or area
1: yeah no it for sure is
0: and so I figured I can add a lot of value to companies that are coming here because I've gone through it myself. And so that's what TNO and the Novitas organization really does.
1: Awesome. And so I, I guess you kind of have a passion for helping younger companies, startups. Is that fair to say, or everybody?
0: Yes, I, I, I focus in on new tech companies, newer technologies, if that's strictly software driven, emerging technology, something different or differentiator. And then I try to represent companies that either are in Canada or in Houston that don't have a local representation, and so those companies are number one have to watch their cash flow, so they have to be very cautious with where their capital goes, and secondly they also need the intelligence if is this you know can it go to market, can you know, is it a proof of concept, can it be adopted? And a lot of times companies have great ideas, yeah, but they really don't have realism, yeah. And so I try to help. Alleviate that concern, and give them that market intelligence and that strategy and those tactics to go to the next level, to get that foothold, and then off to the races they go.
1: Yeah, and so at lunch, you know, we were joking that you live out by the airport, and you can know when a big deal is going to happen because you hear that the jets come in, right? So you've got really good intel on who's coming in and out, right?
0: Merger Mondays are very interesting for, for myself, <laughs> just because uh, every time there's just been a. a and a publicly announced you know, acquisition, they usually happen on Mondays. And those airplanes usually come over about 3.30, 4 4.00, o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. And they come in usually twos or threes. And usually if it's twos, it's usually somewhere around a billion-dollar acquisition. If it's three, it's usually, you know, four billion, five billion billion, billion. And that's the day of. And so I know something's going to be happening just because it's happened every single time. It just wakes me up. And I'm normally up at 4.30, you know, 4.30, yeah. but... I it's, it's one of my little you know, character, like, okay, it's going to be an exciting day today.
1: Yeah, <laughs> if only we could have intel of who it was so that I could, I could get a jump, right?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So,
1: so before we kind of dive into the midstream stuff, I'm going to give my little shout out to my sponsor. So today's podcast is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Ally, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. ThoughtTrace, let the software do the reading. And for those of you that are not subscribed, please go and subscribe to the podcast. That helps me helps me out. It helps people learn about it. Leave a review. I say leave a review if it's good. If it's bad, send me an email and tell me why it's bad, and then I can fix it before you leave a review. But no, in all seriousness, do go and leave a review, and make sure that you go and enter into our weekly drawing for an awesome power bank. It's at thoughttrace.com. Slash podcast drawing. I always say that you don't want to be that guy in the airport looking for a plug, and you know those little stickers that they have. Have you seen these? This is great. Like, it's a sticker that looks like an outlet, and so people go to try to plug in their phone, and you can't. No way.
0: (laughs) That that's pretty good. That's brilliant. Google it it later. So
1: so, anyways, you know, we've seen in the news, I think, over the past couple of months, a lot on water and you know not just how are we going to get more fresh water what are we going to do with our produced water injection rates earthquakes right I mean there's just we could spend probably three or four episodes talking about each of these kind of issues but we were talking earlier that University Lands has 2.1 million acres in West Texas, and they control more than 25% of surface and mineral rights in Andrews County. And that just recently, they've entered into some contracts, right? And can you tell me a little bit more about kind of what you, what's going on and, and what you see with those that JV and, and the stuff that we were talking about earlier?
0: Yes, certainly. You know, University Lands, it with you know 2.1 million acres is a, probably the most substantial acreage position for a non-operator. Right. Someone who doesn't you know drill the wells or oversees it. It's a great opportunity for income-wise. Well, out here, of course, you know, as you drill these oil wells, you have tons and tons of water coming back. Sometimes four to eight barrels per one barrel of oil. Sometimes all the up to 10x, so 10 times. There's a lot of water. It takes a lot of a lot of lot of water to drill it takes a lot of water when it comes back it's just everywhere's water water so in the area of that area of reeves county and in the northern in southern delaware area pecos areas as we as we call it people are trying to source fresh water but they also want to be able to dispose of all the produced water they want to be able to recycle it they want to be able to reuse it so they don't have to continuously take new water from aquifers right it's a big what they call the life cycle water management program and so with that particular JV was between H2O Midstream and Lane Water Midstream. And between those two entities, they're going to source and do freshwater drills. And then H2O is going to partner up with them to build out infrastructure that will help take it to the drill sites, that will help take it to, to you know, SWDs, you name it. Right. It'll take you to all those different types of facilities. And what was interesting about you know, that deal is then, you start to see another major deal. Because I've been a big proponent of telling people that I think everyone is trying to chase to be the first billion dollar water midstream company. Out here, everyone understands moving crude, crude midstream companies. But this is a new, not market entrance, but in the last couple of years, everyone's chasing on managing water. Yeah,
1: because people don't want to truck it anymore.
0: That's, that's I absolutely mean, it, correct. It's
1: expensive. It's dangerous, right? I mean, we hear about all the trucks and all the issues. I just had an episode not too long ago that released on the issues with the roads out here. And so if we can, and from a legal and risk perspective, right, if we can get rid of the trucks and build the pipeline infrastructure, we eliminate people out on the roads and trucks, and that's always a good thing.
0: Yes, and that's, that's what's going on is basically to build an entire infrastructure system, built around the operators so that they can literally run pipe. And that can go from anywhere from a couple miles up to twenty-five miles, et cetera. But they want to build, in essence, an entire captive system so that they can source your water if you need if you need fresh water for new drills. They can take the produced water and either dispose of it in salt water disposals. They can also take it into recycling. And so I think you know everyone's been talking about the you know getting the fresh water, doing the SWDs. It's been a hot topic. I think going forward in the future, one of the biggest you know markets to open up is going to be in, within recycling because there's going to be so much of this water coming back that I think these companies are going to run into a wall literally where they cannot dispose of it.
1: Right. And I, I joke that you can't flare water, but maybe you can, right? Maybe there's some technology coming out, to, but is that really the best? I mean, I think flaring gas is, is unfortunate, right? We shouldn't have to be flaring gas. We are. I think that there's a better way. And so I think that for sure with water, there's going to be better ways. And it's just a matter of making it economically feasible. And so what were, what were you saying? That the, what are the numbers right now in uh, the Permian for barrels, about 3 million barrels of oil per day?
0: Yeah, there's different reports out there. If you follow industry like EIA reports, you know it goes through, you know, 3 million, 3.2 on, on a daily basis. Projection-wise, they're calling for upwards of 5 million barrels per day some are saying by 2020, 2021. And so you have this variance of a couple hundred thousand barrels because everyone is you know reading different financial reports, government reports, et cetera. The going you know, consensus, if you will, is they're going to make the Permian out here at least a five million barrel per day producer. That's kind of like the, the rounded number. And they're looking to, to, to do that hopefully by, you know, sometimes some say you know 2023 some are way further before that they're saying 2022 and some are even saying 2021 it's kind of it all depends on where you read and where you source on it so if you look at the 5 million barrels and just run some basic you know math on it from a, let's take the max of you know 10 barrels of of water per one barrel of oil so then we're looking at you know 50 million barrels of water a day
1: yeah and i don't know what the current capacity is but for saltwater disposal but i can guarantee you it's not 50 million barrels per day.
0: Correct. And that's where you see all of these companies doing JVs and, and basically micro building, if you will, on electrical side, you know, there's a big proponent of, of micro grids. People are building, you know, basically micro water, water pads and water facilities, if you will. And so the one going back to what you mentioned with university lands, H2O and lane is basically helping the, each of those companies to not take on all of the risk, and all the capital exposure, but partner up with the right partners to for execution, so that um, you can build a good a good company that, of course, would you know make money, but also be able to be good stewards of the land. Because a lot of these landowners, you got to imagine what goes on to these landowners with all these different trucks and pipelines and people on their land. Because a lot of them have you know cattle, and a lot of them have land, and now you're talking millions and millions of barrels of water on top of oil. Right. Plus everything else for the treatment. So there's a lot of moving parts, and the less that they can have trucks going to and from and keep it captive in a closed loop system, then the more control from a safety and from a from a risk standpoint. Because you know, and you, you're no longer you have you can control some of those variables that right. are out
1: there. Right. Yeah. No. And I'm married to a guy that really likes to hunt, and I can tell you that the deer probably appreciate not having the the trucks out there too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah you know there there's um, another little case on on water a lot of these times these these trucks you know come back and you know from from drilling operations from frac operations or whatever the operations are and now there's actually a market too before these trucks enter these lease holes where there are you know ranches and cattle and, and, and anything the landowners are now requiring these trucks to be washed before they enter those sites and so now you there's even a market out there for literally not for personal trucks but for facilities for for mobile washing units and, and putting in facilities to actually treat trucks, actually wash off trucks because some of the things that can trickle off, you know, gets into the plants and then the cattle eat and it's not good for the digestive systems of animals and for for ranchers and for their the overall health of their other of land.
1: Yeah, right. Ecologically damaging, right? Mm-hmm. So What do you think, kind of, big picture for those that aren't out here and aren't seeing it for themselves, of kind of what's the attitude of the operators and the service companies? Do you think people are on board for trying to kind of find some new technology for recycling? Are people perfectly happy, you know, continuing with SWD for the foreseeable future? You know,
0: yeah, you know, when I first arrived here about Five years ago, I bumped into a gentleman at a local a local bar. I was trying to go out and meet new people. And he was a private owner, an operator of SWDs. And at the time, they were probably the least looked at or favorable industry to be in. They were kind of like the, you know, sorry for any redheads, but the redheaded stepchilds that are out there. Yeah. And, you know, I'd reached back out to that you know, individual recently and had indicated that it's just absolutely, the. I mean, you, you couldn't have seen a more booming time for an industry that was kind of wasn't the flavor of the day if, if you will on the SWD side. So with all this water and everyone focusing on SWDs, which is great but you know you can do upwards of about 30,000 barrels per day per facility. Per well, yeah. yeah yeah per yeah per, per uh, facility. Yeah. There's t- there's talk about possibly regulating the pressure, the injection pressure or even reducing the number of barrels per day because of the seismic activity in the Pecos area. And so you've got to find other sources to do with that water, and so I think one of the most underutilized right now has been talked about, but it hasn't been really looked at, just the way SWDs were five years ago—is within treatment or water recycling facilities, and being able to have the technologies at an economical rate that can take those you know those existing barrels and make it so that not so much as potable at the point that you can drink it out of a tap, yeah, but water. you can go
1: and use it to frac or use it again for drilling or whatever.
0: Correct, and it's 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 it gets rid of all the different bacteria and things of that nature because you don't want that going down into the well bore because that can affect your you know for everything that goes on, you know downhole. So they want to be able to put that within their you know entire system so that instead of having to drill or you know drill another freshwater well or have to take millions and millions of, of barrels of fresh water, they can offset that by using the existing waters coming back from the produced water, but having that entire system built. Right,
1: closed loop mm-hmm. and then the economies of scale needed and i guess university lands because it's such a large entity with so much acreage can get that economies of scale do you think it's going to take operators cooperating with each other you know that have adjacent leases to say okay guys let's kind of build our own and it may take three or four different operators to come together do you think that operators are, are ever going to be able to you know, cooperate and share like that, or is it going to be well, no, it's just a matter of each lease is going to have its own facility?
0: Good question. I think it's going to come down to just like anything else on, on surface rights, it's going to come down to who has the, the, surf, the surface rights to it. And I think what's going to happen is as they start doing these leaseholds from a micro standpoint okay this is going to be they're going to have x amount of permits drilling they'll say operator a is going to punch x amount of holes well we know that within 25 mile radius we want they're going to have x amount of need for water they're going to take x amount of water so we're going to go ahead and find a way to permit an swd and build infrastructure around that which is absolutely great this you know this, this business and you know, capitalism entrepreneurship but i think if these companies are not talking to each other and one you know, one person pokes you know builds a little facility here another one does a facility here, here, and here to meet that yeah. local localized demand on the mi- micro side? That eventually, when you look at it from the macro, the high end side, then logistically you're going to run to the point where they're going to be crisscrossing pipelines, and they're going to be at max, you know, max capacity, and then you're going to have other other SWDs and wells, you know, too close, or you're having, you know,
1: right spacing issues, spacing just like issue. you have with production.
0: Exactly, you know, there's there's even talk now, you know, operators want, you know, are concerned about these injection wells being too close to their production pads because of, of the spacing issues that these operators are trying to squeeze more wells in to the leasehold, and then, you know, sometimes even taking you know even more produced water than the produced water. So is it their produced water? Or is it produced water that's from an SWD? And, and, you know, cross-communication, and, and there's all kind of just different things that are going on out there in the, in the marketplace that I think from a macro level, I think most of these companies without giving on competitive intelligence need to come up with a, a, a strategy as to, as to where they're going to be, and I think this, this goes to a, a point that I've been stressing for for quite a while now. Is I think these companies are going to have a massive consolidation where they're going to be have three or four SWDs here. They're going to buy a couple more here, and then you have someone coming to swoop, swoop up and, and purchase, you know, fifty SWDs. Case in point, just look at TPG Capital coming in and spending $130 dollars to to buy Goodnight Midstream, and you know I think it was four9 nine, four hundred twenty miles of pipe. And 50 SWDs. So if you break that down, number wise, you're looking at like 18.6 million dollars.
1: Yeah, and what does it cost to build a new facility? Eight or
0: nine? Usually, even be lower than that. I mean, okay. you can get that way if you know if you if you drill, if you you're drilling the well and you don't have the experience drilling it correctly, it can it can run you. You know, a lot of people there's a lot of money chasing it now, so you have a lot of people always say, you know, funny money coming in, and say, "Hey, I'm going to be an oil guy. I'm going to build an SWD," and, and and they go out and they spend millions of dollars, and then they and I've seen where. They're punching a hole and they're literally setting facilities in the, same, in the same location, trying to beat the clock. And then the well doesn't get permanent out because the, the well is not drilling right. Or, you know, they, they got to sometimes you know, plug it back or right. all kinds. Any
1: of the issues that comes with drilling a hole in the ground, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely correct. And I think that nine, that's a prime example of, of they're going towards that $1 billion because I think forward-looking, you're going to start seeing all this water comes back. Let's just fast forward to two years for now. And you have all this massive water coming coming along, but you have no place to put it. Whether it's SWDs, treatment facilities, even trucking, whatever it is, built in a gigantic pond. There's so much water coming that I think these, these operators are going to get into a pinch because they have to get to production in order to get their sales because they have told they're going to grow production. So the water's got to go somewhere. And I think... And this is, this is you know, my humble opinion, if you look at the, the recent acquisition of T P G and what they're looking at for nine hundred and thirty million dollars acquisition, three hundred million credit line, you know, to, to grow operations is they have literally about a million barrels right now of capacity to take on. And I think again, forward looking, they're gonna be anticipating more pricing power on the amount of barrel you know, cents, you know, or even dollars per barrel to dispose of. And I think that's that's the those who have the permits, those who have the infrastructure built right now with capacity are going to get pricing power in the future, and I think that's, that's where it's really going to go because it's going to come and it's got to go somewhere unless a lot of recycling takes off in the next couple of years drastically, which I think you're going to see a, a big market improvement because those costs per barrel, I, th- I think, this is like in my opinion, is going to escalate, and it's going to force operators to decide, okay, am I going to spend – You know, a dollar, fifty, two dollars, three dollars, four, five dollars per barrel to dispose of water, or do I want to spend a dollar or fifty cents to recycle it? Right. Yeah. And that's where I think it's going.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, right now it's pennies on the dollar to dispose of, and dollar plus right to recycle. And so it's going to take a flipping of those numbers to make it economically appealing to. Recycle it instead of disposing of it. It's just a matter of, of making the
0: numbers work. Correct, correct. And there's also the you know the vast amounts. You know some of the facilities that are out there for recycling are between you know ten, twenty, thirty, you know thousand barrels per day at, at different GPM levels. Just like the SWDs are X amount of barrels per day. Sometimes fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand barrels at X amount of PSI. So you have those two, you know, those different inputs that that control the amount of flow, if you will. That, that right. each just
1: the capacity that they can they can have
0: correct and so again you're talking about you know different space and pad space And so when you add one unit that might do 10,000 barrels in, in recycling and you want to do 30 you may have to take three of those well okay now can three of those be stacked vertically or do they have to go horizontally how much of pad space is it going to take is that space surface rights going to interfere with at least at least access road so again you have all these different things going on where everyone's trying to basically build out infrastructure all over the place with you have to dig through different reports and permitting and things of that nature to really map it out, right? And I think you know, eventually, as much money is chasing as this, and wait until about end of this year if the actual takeaway capacity for oil comes online. The estimated 2 million barrels again, it's 1.9, 2.2, you hear different things. Comes online late this year, early 2020, you know, 2020, then it's another 2 million barrels of oil. Okay, we're about three, so think about that. I mean, that's literally almost double. And we're already stressed enough, system wise, out here. That if you start doing that, then 2020 is going to be gangbusters. And you know the oil field, but you know it's a love hate relationship with the oil field because times are tough. Everyone pulls capital and money, it gets to be extremely tough. Hopefully, you save for a rainy day. You know, when I got first broke out in the oil field as a, as a as a you know green hat worm, it was you know everyone driving big jacked up trucks, you know, and houses, and everyone was balling out. And you know, maybe even a little more. You know, Older at the time and seasoned, I actually went to talk to a lot of these older executives, you know, you know company men sitting there, you know, literally 65 years old. I sit back and I'd I be like, you know, man, if I'm making you know, two, 3000 a day, at sixty-five, either I'm you know, broke and poor or I'm really banking it, you know. And I asked, you know, these older guys, I said, man, I'm not deprived, but, you know, I'm a new guy, what advice do you do you have? And I, I'll never forget it. it's Number one, always make sure you save your money for a rainy day. And also, they also said, make sure you marry the right woman. <laughs>
1: So that she saves your money for a rainy day, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> and,
0: and the reason I, I, I bring that up is, is because, I, you know, when times are good, money's rolling. When times are tight, I was down here during the, the, you know, the crash of, you know, I, I call it 2014, late 2014, early 2015. You know, I was, you know, at Halliburton when we announced we were at, acquiring, you know, Baker Halliburton, yeah. was, and you know, going after Baker. And I just sat back, you know, looked at the number of the valuation pay, and what they're paying, I just thought to myself, holy bubble. Like there's so much money, so much capital, people just paying, 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 and then look what happened and everything, you know, happened and people you know, survived the downturn. Now we're back and you know it's it's steady, it's steady now. I mean, there's a little more you know controls in, but I think this whole market on on the on the water side is going to get to the point where there's going to be so much money. You're starting to see it now. Companies spending upwards of a billion dollars, five hundred million. Blackstone just did five hundred million dollars for uh, Waterfield Midstream to actually build out a water a midstream company. So you're talking five hundred million billion. To the point now, we're probably we'll start looking at one and a half, maybe two billion dollars. When you start getting into those types of levels, then you're talking—you know—you're not talking just private equity; you're talking hedge fund money. I mean, a lot of money. And I think all that chasing in into this marketplace out here in a very—you know—limited space as far right. as infrastructure could be good or bad. I just hope that companies scale appropriately, and I hope that they hire good people, and I hope that they do it well—you know—well enough so that we don't have another another force of a bubble, but knowing the oil field and how it goes and you know, boom to bust, I think the water, the water industry could probably face that as well, where it's just going to be who has the capacity, who has the infrastructure in place, is going to have the pricing power, which eventually will give them an upper hand because those operators are going to have to book those cells. If they don't... And as operators don't meet those projections because look at the market and how beat down energy sectors are. And you can say it's, you know, social implications from, from, you know, fractivists and things, but it's also, investors want money back. They want, free, you know, free cash flow. They want dividends. They, they want money. They want to get some of their money back. Right. If you go to the market and say, oh, by the way, we have to shun in our wells or, or not, you know, grow production. Because can't get rid of our water. Because you can't get rid of our water. That would wreak havoc. And so I think the true, like the, long, the way that, you know, Wall Street and people are looking at this and... It is not so much what you're getting right now per barrel for disposal or for, for recycling. It's going to be another year, two two years, even three years of where you're going to be able to go back and say, okay, we're paying 50 cents here, we're paying 75 cents or a dollar, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, fresh water, you know, treated water, produced water, disposal cost, whatever it is, currently in the marketplace, you're talking, you know, two, three, four dollars dollars per barrel now, and you bought it on today's, today's cents and right. you're charging tomorrow's dollar. It's going to be... A lot of money.
1: Yeah. Well, we are almost out of time for today, but I want to leave like a maybe a little teaser for another episode. And that is the, the, the two things. One, the potential that produced water, not just fresh water, but that produced water will have an inherent value and will actually be profitable. And the legal implications of royalty rights, mineral rights to what's traditionally been just the hydrocarbons and applying that into the produced water where we actually get really good at recycling it. And operators are actually made able to make a profit on recycling at the produced water with the landowners and the mineral rights owners. I use those interchangeably because in Louisiana of our weirdness. So yes, I know that there's a difference in Texas one and then two kind of the long term responsibility for those of when you're injecting saltwater now and you're at a public facility or a joint facility where it's coming in from everywhere, and there's not so much monitoring of what's actually going down hole. And the long-term, think, CERCLA, RICRA, federal environmental regulations that we've seen for waste sites and old facilities, and that that carrying forward in the groundwater and then in, in just the various reservoir levels, but landowners, mineral rights owners, right, once the oil and gas production's stopped, once they stop getting money from the companies, then they look for other sources. And we've seen it in Louisiana with the legacy lawsuits. And so I think that long-term there's going to be issues with the saltwater disposal. And the insurance isn't available right now that contemplates those long-term risks. And so next time I want to talk about kind of not that I have a crystal ball, but I do think that those are going to be issues, and and maybe as an industry we need to start talking about it and get on the forefront of it, so that we're not reacting later on. We're able to say, kind of on the front end, we think this might be a problem, and let's get a plan together.
0: Yeah, and you know, just to add that to, add to that as well is the fact of you know, from a you know liability standpoint, is you hear different chatter. I've talked to a couple of different you know ranch owners and. It's a mega ranch. I talked to a lot of different people and, and just you know connect the dots on a lot of different topics. And one thing that and I don't blame media and you know there's so much news out there you can't decipher between what is really good factual news and what is speculation or as people say fake news. Right. But I think too there's a, there's a fear out there on these these you know ranchers and or even leaseholders people that have that have a certain you know, the surface rights is the aquifers. Okay, if we keep pulling. And punching all these freshwater wells. And there's hydrogeologists, you know, looking back, man, if you're a hydrogeologist or you're in school, if you listen to this and you're in school and you're in geology, <laughs> do do a track in hydrogeology. I'm telling you, yeah. It's a it's a huge market because of, of these aquifers. How much is truly there as yeah. far as an aquifer? And if we start punching all these different you know, holes to, to, to get them this you know, freshwater out, and then the again you know, maybe the recycling doesn't come on, or maybe the you know pr- you know produced w- waters has to go in SWDs, whatever whatever it is, where we don't have enough water to to continue to frack to get to production, then or to I, water the cows, and that's where there's there's fear because you don't have city water, you don't have other reservoirs to tap into. So if you draw if you take one of these reservoirs from a liability standpoint, in the land of my plane, I don't I mean to take the end of this conversation, but what's the liability if that aquifer okay going dry and then someone losing their their land, you know, to the bank or, or from the cattle or whatever it may be, or for whatever they do on their land, because they don't have access to water that they've had literally, you know, for six generations. Yeah. And so going back to how they do the, the agreements, okay, where's the culpability and where's the liability on those reservoir analytics? If they're going to, if they agree to take permitted for, I'm just throwing this number out there, let's say they're permitted for, you know, a hundred million barrels. Okay. Well, how are they tracking it is accurate? And what if, if you only get fifty million barrels? What if they overdraw it? Or if so that I think is going to be a huge topic that I don't think's really been addressed too much that I think if you you, you investigate on that I think you can get a lot of traction on it because I think it's an un, it's an untalked about it's not it's not a like people don't like talking right. about it's it. Right. It's
1: uncomfortable, it's unknown, and we're not talking about it and we're not contracting for it, which means it leaves uncertainty. But thank you so much for joining me. And if people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you, how do they find you?
0: Yes, you can you know find me online. My socials are pretty pretty uh, good. Uh, hopefully, I don't annoy you too much by you know, LinkedIn and other places. But you can reach you know through uh, my website, which is NavitasOrg.com. So it's navitasor gcom And of course, that'll be the the basis for reaching out to me, and through different you know socials through through LinkedIn or just reach out to you and, you know, we can pass all my information to them as, as well. I appreciate the opportunity and apologize to anyone out there. This is literally my first official, like, podcast, so my head's turning a little bit red because I'm, like, thinking, okay, what's she going to ask? Am I stuttering talking too fast? Am I allowed to say that or not say that? And so if I stumbled or mumbled, I, I apologize.
1: We have a great editor, so hopefully Emin will make us both sound smarter. How about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I like it. I like it very much, but I appreciate, you know, the invite and opportunity and, yeah, well, you're
1: on the hook for another one because I enjoyed it. it. It was really good.
0: Excellent. I well, Thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, down the road.
1: Yeah, thanks. If you guys could do me a favor and like, leave a review for this podcast, that's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues.